Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat sports fan and a Cincinnati fan in particular because the Cleveland Brownies are up 14 to nothing in the middle of the first quarter as of this recording. I hate the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I will proudly proclaim it. Even though I do love Martinos on Vine, I hate Pittsburgh. I'm not going to go so far as to, like, hip-hip hooray the Cleveland Browns having a 14-0 lead. Um, weird intro, but indeed it is, Hummer. It is always a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats sports fan. Funny times in, in Cincinnati, spe- specifically with the University of Cincinnati. Uh, before we get into the football team, recent announcements, before we get into the three and seven Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team, I did want to remind folks, please give us a follow on Twitter at Cincy Slangin. Also, you can email us, cincyslangin at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it really helps us out to go to iTunes and please leave a five-star review, send us a note, leave a comment, tell people what you enjoy, what you want to hear more of. We appreciate all of it. But, Hummer, I digress. Let's get into the football team and the recent string of announcements we had. I want to start with the good. The good is Desmond Ritter is back. He's back, baby. Honestly, the hype video that Des dropped online with his announcement to return to the University of Cincinnati for his fourth and final season with the Bearcats gave me goosebumps, got me in my feels. Um, it's, it's, it's honestly pretty cool to see a quarterback be able to drop a video like that, given the fact that a few months ago, the Bearcats started out 3-0 and and there, were a, there was a non-incidental segment of the fan base calling for his benching how things have changed people are dancing in the streets desmond ritter has decided to return to the university of cincinnati which i mean that's a big freaking deal for our team given how he finished the season last year and i would say you know he's he's maybe not like a top four top five favorite but this is a guy that's going to be like on the preseason heisman odds list you're going to be able to realistically bet on des ritter winning the Heisman and it's not like, you know, completely out of the realm of possibilities. Oh, and because my wife does not listen to the podcast, uh, you can a hundred percent be sure that I'm going to be placing some money on that bet. Uh, (laughs) I think it's going to be awesome. And we talked about this earlier in the season a little bit, or this past season, you know, kind of maybe if that lacking of a storyline was also maybe something keeping us out of the playoffs. I don't think that's going to be the case next year. Uh, he's going to be on some short lists for some, some awards, which is going to be great. Uh, His familiarity with the offense. And on top of that, the fact that we have every single wide receiver for the most part, rejoining the team. Uh, You know, we're not going to, we're not going to miss a beat there, especially with the speed that we have on the outsides. I think the biggest question we're going to have, you know, is that offensive line, you know, we saw tackle. Yep. How, how that got beat up against Georgia, you know, so we're going to have to do some work there. Um, I haven't really had a chance to, to look at the incoming transfer, you know, James Turnstall, uh, but losing James Hudson to the draft is going to be huge. 
Uh, it was evident against that Georgia game. Um, but if he continues to do, if he picks up right where we left off, we don't have that three game lag. It is a very serious, you know, there's a huge possibility that by the time we get to conference play next year, we're going to be having Heisman conversations regarding Desmond Ritter because we will have played great teams that he's going to have to have shredded by the time we got there being in Indiana and Notre Dame. (laughs) And we'll certainly be talking about Notre Dame here in a bit. I did want to kind of put it on the record uh, for folks listening here who may not be up to speed. I imagine most are Uh, the folks who have officially announced that they are declaring and entering the uh, declaring for and entering the NFL draft that includes on offense, Jared Dokes, James Hudson, and then defensively, Ethan Tucky, Elijah Ponder, Jarrell White, James Wiggins, Derek Forrest, and, and then our punter, uh, James Smith. Honestly, you know, a pretty talented group of players declaring for the draft, several of which you can easily see get drafted. I think the biggest by far in terms of impact, potential impact to the Cincinnati Bearcats next season, you nailed it, James Hudson. Um, we saw it firsthand against Georgia top flight competition that without him in our lineup, our offensive line is hampered is debilitated. Frankly, Um, we saw it actually prior to James Hudson playing football with the Cincinnati Bearcats that we, we struggled throughout the 2019 season. And a lot of that was on the, based on the fact that we couldn't block anybody. And unfortunately in the second half against Georgia, that was the case again. So our ability to protect Des next season is going to be huge. Turnstall is certainly going to play a huge role uh, or potentially play a huge role in, in filling in that spot. Um, you know, he's coming in. He previously played at UConn, um, played it in the FCS prior to this or most recently. And, and it's kind of obviously he has the specs, size, weight, you know, everything looks good there. But is he James Hudson, a guy who's, you know, rumored to potentially get drafted between the second and fourth round. He's certainly not that. So it's going to, it's going to definitely impact our ability uh, to, to thrive offensively next season, but I'll take having Des back, having Jerome Ford slide in to, to replace Dokes. Cause I think while Dokes was awesome in his own right, incredible in pass blocking, great receiving. He is no Jerome Ford in terms of strictly running the ball. So I do feel offensively the, the continuity with the offensive talent in terms of skill positions, that's a good thing. That's a bright spot. And um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be curious to see, you know, we, I don't think, I don't know if you and I really are, are that in tune with the inner workings of the offensive line for next season, but you know, we, we also don't want to forget that that Mets was a starter, you know, in 2019, uh, prior to James Hudson's arrival, you know, I wouldn't attribute to a lot of that, you know, his biggest issue was honestly the false starts. He, he had a lot of those. He also had some pass really is, I think it was the pass protection issues. Um, you know, when you're looking at just the mechanics of it, lunging forward, not really coming backwards and being able to, being able to uh, absorb the blows and having guys just be able to swim, move around him. So I, I think there's, there's going to be room for improvement on the offensive line overall. Um, it, it, you know, time will tell. That's the biggest thing. But I think we've hit it. The offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders. I think it's, it's, it has an opportunity to be better than what it was this year simply because we're going to have so many people in the exact same positions. There's not, there's not a lot of turnover 
where that is going to be different on the defensive side of the ball, where there, there's a lot of big impact players who are not going to be here next year. Elijah Ponder, James Wiggins, you know, that, that, that's a, those are two huge ones that you think of right off the top of your head. But on that same token, we have a lot of returning players that are just great impact players. My Jay Sanders is a huge, huge return. Ahmad Gardner did, they, they uh, Arquan Bush, Brian Cook all did very good jobs in that game against Georgia, holding that offense to, you know, where they were basically, they were picked on. Georgia was throwing the ball downfield. They were trying to expose the, these over what they saw would be over, you know, glaring weaknesses in the defense. They didn't even really want to attempt at the rushing game with us. They, they kind of abandoned that early. And I still think they did a decent job of, of holding their own considering the fact that, you know, Georgia didn't beat us down, even though we were down two all American line, uh, you know, cor- cornerbacks and safeties. Oh, the front seven. I thought that was the most promising sign was that our defensive front seven held up incredibly well against a, an sec powerhouse, which, you know, gets these mutants to play on their offensive line. So I, that was one of the more positive developments. I think you're right. While we're losing more names defensively, there were some big ones that came back. You mentioned my Jay Sanders. That's a guy who's probably getting drafted. If he comes out, at least I thought so. And, you know, in, immensely talented, uh, best in class type defensive end, uh, and certainly going to be someone that's valuable in having back on the team to disrupt opposing teams offenses. Um, a couple other big names that came back that's that kind of helped sure up that defensive front so that we're not going to rely completely on guys who just weren't getting as many reps last season, Curtis Brooks coming back at defensive tackle. And then at linebacker, uh, Joel DeBlanco coming back, Darian Bevers coming back two huge announcements. It wasn't a guarantee. It certainly wasn't a sure thing knowing they're back for one extra season with the Bearcats taking advantage, advantage of the, the COVID-19 extra year of eligibility rules. I'm happy. You know, I feel good about, our defensive front being able to hold up ponders a big loss. We saw how valuable he was last season, but I have no doubt that uh, when you look at the depth and, and the talent of recruiting uh, that fickle and, and co have done the past few seasons, we're in a really good spot defensively to kind of next man up this thing. And we saw it in the Georgia game. You, you hit the nail on the head last week on the podcast that um, despite all Americans being out, despite Gardner missing the game, despite Wiggins missing the game, we were we were able to just fill in fill in the blank and still held Georgia to to 20 23 points I think if I'm remembering that sort score correctly but yeah all in all all in all good news I would say if we're looking toward the the spring game biggest questions about the Bearcats what we're seeing on the field I think that offensive line is the biggest question who is filling what spot how are they compensating for the loss of Hudson because as good as the continuity is with wide receiver, with quarterback, with running back, those skill positions don't matter if you can't block. And you've seen it at every level of football. If your offensive line is a train wreck, it compromises how effective your quarterback can actually be. For those who are listening, who are Cincinnati Bengals fans, we all know how important it is to block Joe Burrow. We're, we're, we're feeling the consequences of that now, unfortunately. And I don't want to see Dez running for his life all season because we're not able to protect his blind side. So if we need to figure up, figure out and sure up that, that left side of the offensive line. And, and that'll certainly be, I think, priority number one. Like that's the biggest question of the off season to me is what are we doing at left tackle? 
and and really turnstall. What does turnstall look like? Right. I think we'll know quickly. The it's all my fault. The Joe Burrow thing. Just a quick tangent here. I'm not a big person for for wearing jerseys. Uh, it's just it's not my thing. Uh, I broke down. I was excited about Joe Burrow. Nike had a really good deal on a on a half price Joe Burrow jersey. This was before his knee injury. I had that jersey no more than than four days. <laughs> Joe Burrow got hurt. It's brutal, brutal. Um, so needless to say, the jersey is hanging in my closet. I will not be bringing it out for any more games for the remainder of his career at, at the Cincinnati Bengal. It's, uh, I don't want to curse him. Um, I want to see him be a, a Hall of Famer, but we all know my streak of calling people Hall of Famers. Uh, on, <laughs> moving we'll on get, to- We'll to, get to that, Hover. We will, yeah. trust me, we will be getting to that. Um, but look, it wasn't, we heard a lot of announcements this last week about who was coming back to the Bearcats. There was one particular announcement that wasn't good news for Cincinnati. And that's the fact that Marcus Freeman, best friend, BFF of Luke Fickle. Roommate, roommate. Roommates at one point. I know. I Come on. We, we did everything in our power. Uh, but Marcus Freeman, defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bearcats, has announced that he is leaving the University of Cincinnati to take on the same position, though it has a uh, official name to it. I'm not going to spend the time to look it up to now. I think it's like the Bob Hinton defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach of the Notre Dame fighting Irish. Wait, Marcus what? Freeman. What? Is- they have a long name like that at Notre Dame for their defensive coordinator position? Yes. yes. Seriously? Yes. I, I can assure you. I had to look twice to say, wait, did Marcus Freeman actually get the job or is this Bob Hinton's job? Who is now? Does does Brian Kelly's head coaching job have something along those lines? Like (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question. I need to, we need to uh, Charlie Weiss never want to repeat his performance (laughs) ever again. Head coach of the Notre Dame fighting Irish, Brian Kelly, (laughs) (laughs) Brian Kelly, head coach of the Notre Dame fighting Irish sponsored by Charlie Weiss's waistline. (laughs) <laughs> I I don't know. I think it's a, it was a big move, big announcement for Marcus Freeman. I'm happy for him in terms of uh, him getting what he wants in terms of moving to, you know, one of the most prestigious football programs in the country. I mean, you can't call it otherwise. It's, it is definitely a, one of the most notable teams in the country. While you can be notable and overrated at the same time, the, the good news is that the Cincinnati Bearcats are going to have an opportunity right away to extract revenge on Marcus Freeman. Uh, We play the Irish at their place in South Bend on October 2nd, and the game and the headlines and the the drama got a little bit juicier. We already have the fact that uh, we're playing Brian Kelly, our former coach, the fact that they took Mike Bickens from us last season. He is the defensive backs coach for the Fighting Irish already, and now their defensive coordinator is also a former Bearcat. Freeman is gone. What's your initial reaction to Freeman taking the job? I don't know if this is a popular opinion. Well, it definitely won't be a popular opinion at all. Um, You know what? It is good news for him. And frankly, anybody in that situation who thinks that, you know, while he shouldn't have taken it, it's a lateral move. No, it's not. No, it's not. And it's not, it's not putting the university of Cincinnati's football program down, but when you look at all things aside and, you know, whether people want to say money isn't a part of a decision, it's definitely a factor of it. Whenever you look at it, making a decision in any career, doesn't matter if you're a football coach or if you're just an insurance person or you're working at, um, I'm trying to think of P&G and you're, you're moving to move the Dow or whatever. 
at the end of the day, money is a variable in that decision. And I guarantee you that Notre Dame is probably paying two to three times the amount of money that he was getting. But on top of that, he immediately goes to a team that can lose one game and still get into the college football playoff. You know, it sucks for us as, as Bearcat fans, but I think what it shows us though is in my mind, this is, this is my logic working through, and I don't know if any of this is correct. Him and Fickle being as close as they are, I think there had to have been a conversation regarding, is this a good move for, for Freeman? And I say that because in July, Freeman gave an interview where he stated that he thought staying at the University of Cincinnati was his best path for becoming a head coach. And I'm wondering if there's something that's changed in Fickle's mindset that now made that not the best way for Freeman to become a head coach. What I'm saying is I'm wondering if this is reading the tea leaves that maybe Fickle is more invested in the program than, you know, maybe what some of us would actually think, or maybe he's invested as much of us as we think. Right. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. The first way you said it, you almost don't need to say it like that anymore. Right. We don't have to question how invested he is because last season we were in the same situation with Luke Fickle where Michigan state comes calling history tells us Luke Fickle is going to take that job. And, you know, I definitely expected him to, and sure enough, Luke Fickle spurns them. And now we have a fairly quiet off season with respect to Luke Fickle. And I think that's why this is easier for me to stomach. Marcus Freeman is 34 years old. He's an absolute rock star when it comes to coordinators. And, and when you factor in his age there, you can't keep a guy like this as a defensive coordinator for long. Like he's just too much of a, uh, he's, he's a, a superstar, right? Like in terms of coaching and coordinators and, and, and the age, this is someone who is going to move on to, to bigger and better in the best of ways in a non-derogatory way of UC. When you are a coordinator, you know, his aspirations are much bigger. He's on the record as saying he wants to eventually be a head coach. When you go to a program like the Irish, or when you go to a program like the SEC or any, you know, some of the biggest SEC teams, like maybe LSU, Alabama, uh, Georgia, you're in a different conversation at that point. If he's achieving at the level of success that he did with the Bearcats, but he's doing it for Notre Dame, the number of jobs he's going to be up for at the next round, you know, in a couple years down the line, it's not just the best jobs in college, the best head coach openings across the college landscape. He's looking potentially at coordinator jobs and I'm talking offensive or I'm talking defensive coordinator jobs at the NFL level. I'm talking, you know, on a trajectory now to reaching the highest ranks at the NFL. So it makes complete sense. I'm not, I have no, I don't have ill will towards Marcus Freeman for taking the role. I am a bit bitter that it's the Irish, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan. It, Would you it have hurts. rather him gone to LSU though? Like really LSU with all that's all the, the infamy that's been on that program, you know, th this past off season. Well, in like, terms of like, it would, it would probably, it affects me less if he's with LSU, but in terms of what I wish upon Marcus Freeman, I will just say, I think it's a good career move to avoid that mess down in LSU. Like their athletic leadership has proven to be reprehensible. The things that have been reported by USA Today in terms of the types of, of sexual abuse uh, that was covered up as it related to Darius Geis, um, those are abhorrent behaviors. And it's far too common in college football to come across stories like that. I can't, I refuse to believe that it's just, it's just the reality of, of college football across the board, full stop. I think there are schools that do it better than others. 
I think there are schools that are more prone to covering these types of things up. And in LSU's case, like the, the facts and the reports, the reports are the reports. And if I were him, it did not seem like the best career move to attach yourself to Orgeron and whatever's going on down there in LSU. And that's besides the fact that they're, they had a disastrous season last year, aside from beating Florida on a thrown shoe. Um, so honestly, good for him. I think he made the right call. I think it's a good career move. We'll extract revenge. Like I said, we get to go, go out to South Bend here later this year, what, 10 months from now. And we'll, we'll, uh, give him a nice reminder of the talent that he left back here at Cincinnati. Well, it, it, if anything, it also proves, well, continues to prove, cause it's not like this hasn't been proven, you know, the road to the pros goes through Cincinnati. We've had several high profile coaches who have made stops in Cincinnati, Urban Myers made stops here. Rex Ryan have made stops here. You know, Brian Kelly's obviously made a stop here. Is Butch Jones still, is he still around? Did, did he fall off the, I don't know where he's at. doesn't matter. <laughs> Butch Jones uh, is definitely used car salesman. He's used car salesman in his way around college football. He is for uh, sure still around selling Tommy the brand. Coverville somehow made it into the Senate, came through <sighs> Cincinnati. Either way, like Cincinnati is a, it's, it's a stop. And plus with the system that fickle has, has him put in place. Don't be surprised if other coordinators two, three years from now are getting poached again. The only thing we care about is that fickle isn't getting poached. That's that, all we care about. Boom. Top programs lose coordinators all the time. Saban the has time. gone through plenty of coordinators. Uh, Urban Meyer, when he was coaching OSU, went through plenty of coordinators. Dabo Swinney loses coordinators. It's okay to lose coordinators. You don't want to lose the head of the snake. You lose, you lose the head of the snake, that tail ain't growing back. But if you keep it, we're going we're gonna to regrow. Fickle's going to replenish. Um, there's already names floating around out there, the likes of Chris, Chris Ash, who was a co-defensive coordinator with Fickle at OSU, currently the defensive coordinator at Texas, though with them hiring a new head coach uh, in Sarkeesian, it's kind of his, his future is a little bit uncertain. Seems like he's the, the top of the wish list at this point. Other than that, I've heard Mike Mickens, I've heard Mike Tressel, I've heard Billy Davis, lots of guys who have ties to local universities or cities uh, in Ohio. Because I think the important thing is to kind of keep the ball moving in terms of recruiting regionally. They've had so much success uh, recruiting well in this area, particularly Ohio, but also the surrounding states. I'm sure they want the next replacement to have those same ties in the same area. Uh, but also be someone who philosophically matches well with Luke Fickle. Well, you know, what's also interesting, you, you talk about local ties, ties to the surrounding area. There is a name on that list has, who has a tie, you know, to Jim Tressel, who I would put on my short list of maybe wanting to see be the next uh, athletic director after John Cunningham takes his whatever gig he's offered next, because it seems like that's what he's in it for. <laughs> Tell it like it is, my friend. Um, hey, you know what? Until he wants, isn't, here, uh, we, we've, we've hit on this. Look, Fickle runs this program from a 360 degree perspective. He has his, uh, not, not, his, not a control necessarily, but he has his eye on everything. He has a vision of the actual program as a whole from the mark, how it's percepted to the, to the media, social media, me, social media aimed at you and I, and social media aimed at teenagers. You know, he, he has his hands on and his eye on a whole program and a vision for it. Losing Fickle would be devastating to this athletic department. 
losing John Cunningham would not be devastating to this athletic department. That's crazy to say, because when losing Mike Bone, we thought that. Like, we're like, holy cow, that's not necessarily good to lose him. You know, it, and that's just not how we're seeing him right now because he's not present in the eye, and we don't need to beat that that to the drum. I'm just pointing out there that Mike Tressel has that local connection. <laughs> isn't isn't Jim Tressel a president of a university right now? Yeah, well, that's Youngstown. Come on. <laughs> I would say this. Um, I want my football coach and my basketball coach, frankly, to be more valuable to the athletic department than the athletic director. We always want that to be the case. Yeah, That's not unique, right? You just, you don't want to have your athletic director be a liability. I can't say that's the case. I have no idea if, if John Cunningham's a liability and I'm certainly not saying he is. Um, his, it's weird, but you're in AD, the, the way you prove yourself is through the biggest moments and those are yet to come for UC. Step one was retaining Fickle. He did do that, right? So he has that on his resume. He, Fickle did not walk to Michigan State on his watch. That would have been an incredibly rough start. That didn't happen. He has right. not had a chance to hire a basketball coach. John Brandon is someone he inherited. Mike Bone hired John Brandon. Um, the jury's still out, right? Like we, we can't definitively say one way or the other how the John Brandon thing is going to play out at this point. Um, all we know is that we have to see the team get better. We have to figure out a way to get some recruits for 2021 and beyond. But we do know that media rights are rapidly approaching in terms of the negotiations, which can historically and has historically proven to lead to uh, the shuffling of teams across conferences. Um, that If that happens and all of a sudden different conferences are moving in different directions and there are different schools that are becoming part of the conversation about, well, maybe the Big 12 wants to take UC on. Maybe the Atlantic Coast Conference is looking for two new teams. If those things start happening, it needs to have like UC needs to find their way into one of the premier conferences in the country. Because if that happens, we do hold on to fickle for the long term. We can start truly competing and vying for a spot in the college football playoff, assuming it stays at four teams. So that's where Cunningham's going to be measured. Like that's where it happens. In addition to fundraising, in addition to enthusiasm, enthusiasm for our programs, it's just that he's only going to be measured based on the biggest moments. Whereas with football and basketball, we know exactly what we have based on the, the quality of the program with football. We have, you know, grade a top notch, best in class coaching right now. We have a top, I, I would say we have a top 10 coach in Luke Fickle. He's playing his day. I think he's a top 10 coach in the NCAA. A and I don't think there's any way you could argue against that. I like I how you said I, that. I don't NCAA. know why. I, I don't know why I hey. hesitated because it's, it's really, you know, it's not amateur. It's just the, you know, true. <laughs> not really amateur. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have a top notch coach. We, we, uh, and he, we can say he hasn't shown any, you know, he's not dying to get out of here. He's not taking the first interview. You know, he's, he's not, he's not just, you know, his agent probably isn't reaching out. It doesn't seem like his agent reached out to Texas. Like, hey, heard you got a big time opening there. What, why not give me an interview? Cause you know, that's what some of these guys do. They have their agents reaching out to programs all the time. Uh, He's not pulling a Dan Mullen, like leveraging an open job for a quick pay raise, right? Like Luke Fickle, honestly, he kind of seems, he seems like a beacon of light in this gross, corrupt, uh, often shady world of college athletics, especially football. He, he, he actually seems genuine in his desire 
to stay local, relatively local to this Midwestern region. He does truly seem to like and enjoy life here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Look, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it while we've got it. I think it's imperative. And, th- and this is why I got maybe, maybe I overreacted. I don't know if it was an overreaction or not. I was upset at the lack of, you know, voice from our athletic department, specifically our athletic director. And I think it's because it's so important we keep fickle and we fight for fickle and we make it possible for Cincinnati to compete for the playoff and to compete for national respect. Because if we don't get it and time and time again, we're disrespected. I mean, this, the same conversation might have happened next year. And if it happens again, what they're telling Luke fickle is you need to leave Cincinnati in order to get considered for the biggest prize in college football. And so I want UC to appreciate that fact and know like, Hey, we need to make sure that we are properly considered for the biggest prize because we have the talent, we have the coaching and we freaking earned it on the field. So hopefully, you know, that's why I got upset about it. That's why it matters. And and there's big, look, these are really big years ahead for the Cincinnati Bearcats. I'm nervous. I'm on pins and needles. Keep Luke fickle, keep winning in football. And then hopefully Cunningham is making the right relationships outside of this for, um, for, for jumping in at one of these big conferences. If, if a reshuffling happens. Yeah. You know, that's all we can, that's all we can hope. We got to give them the benefit of the doubt, but at the end of the day, the basketball team, we're in a good position. I think we're in a good spot, not concerned about the immediate future of the, of the program. Uh, But I guess more what I want to see is an athletic director because you see in, I don't know if this is true, but at least in my opinion, I think this is true. We're a different school than say Ohio state, USC, Texas, you know, these are programs that Texas, I guess, especially they have their own freaking network, you know, the Longhorns network. You know, I want to see an AD almost do exactly what Fickle is doing from a, from a football coach perspective in terms of having a, like a total view of the program, you know, you're worried about your social media outreach. You're worried about the perception of, of the program. You're worried about how, you know, different groups of people see the program because at the end of the day, that's, that is important to this particular, this particular school, because we are in that situation, we need to be the program who gets all eyeballs on us. Like Boise state turning their field, that ugly, hideous blue when they were having their run of dominance a few years ago, like that, that was like something that people wanted to see a blue field. Like, okay. You know, that's cool. Memphis, whatever they did with their basketball court, turning it blue, something that makes people like, I don't (laughs) know why it's all praise. Do not praise that Memphis basketball court. That thing is atrocious. I know it's atrocious, but my point is, it's like, this is something that like for them, they probably love it right down there. They probably love it in Memphis land. I don't know, but it's just something that you're doing (laughs) to get eyeballs, right? It's like, oh my God, did you see that? Or just like, that's stuff that I want an AD to think about for us because we are a school that needs to make a loud, a loud noise. We need to be a school that is able to, to, to trump, to thump our chest a little bit and say, here we are. We're on the national stage. We belong on the national stage. We deserve to be on the national stage. And the only thing I've had, I've heard so far is that crickets, you know, and well, that's, we that's, just can't, yeah, we can't afford to leave anything on the table. We have to be exhausting all options. We have to be vocal. We have to be advocating for our school. That's what we expect. That's what we demand. And I, and I, I suspect we'll see improvements on that moving forward. Again, first time AD, uh, you know, figuring it out on the fly. I did want to, you know, mention one last piece of housekeeping here. It's nothing's official, but 
uh, Maryland did uh, separate with their offensive coordinator. Um, they now have a position opening, opening in that area. And Dan Enos, our running backs coach slash associate head coach to Luke Fickle, he is, I guess, the number one candidate to take that position opening with Maryland. So that would be potentially two members of the staff gone. Again, not official at the, at the time of the recording of this podcast, but it could be another potential departure. And I think it's, it matters. Everything does matter. You have to replace it with good, good talent, but nothing matters as much as having Luke Fickle as your head coach. And Fickle best we head trust. coaches are going to find the best candidates for those roles. Our defense is outstanding. The talent on this team is outstanding. Preseason, we're probably talking top 10 to 15 in the country. These are desirable job jobs for aspiring coaches across the country. I suspect we're going to find really high qualified replacements for these openings. I heard the news and in, in, look, it's weird. This is going to sound weird. Yes. It's a promotion in the sense that he's going from a running backs coach and offensive coordinator. Can't deny that, but it's Maryland. Uh, you're the scum of the big 10, uh, the worst of the worst of your conference, the perennial worst of the worst of your conference. It's not going to change. Sorry. Uh, if you get the good luck, <laughs> I no mean, I'll be feelings. happy. Look, for I mean, it's no, no hard feelings. It's, it's, exactly. It's an increased responsibility. It's the, it's the ACC. Um, sorry. It's not the ACC. It's the big, are they in yeah, the big, big 10, 10 now? They're big 10 yeah. now. Tim and Rutgers. Like, this was, but bottom of the barrel, like they're the people that in the big 10 constantly get their asses beat. That's in. one of those schools. I don't know if they'll ever feel like a big 10 school to me. Like I just can't ever truly absorb that information. Same with Rutgers. I was like, I get like everybody's like, oh, we want to get in the New York market. Do you know how many people watch Rutgers in New York? No one. No one cares about Rutgers in New York. They're so far from New York anyway. You might as well be, <laughs> you know, driving to California. Well, Hummer, I think that kind of wraps up our housekeeping here with football. I just thought it was important that you we don't want my geography. You don't want to talk about geography. Anymore. <laughs> uh, not a not a geography guy, but I did I did want to kind of get to our next topic. There's plenty to talk about with basketball, but before one last note. I really think we can't say, speak highly enough about what Marcus Freeman accomplished over four years here with Cincinnati came aboard in 2016. He's a large part of recruiting, like what Fickle's doing on the recruiting trail. Freeman played not a small part in that. He is a tremendous recruiter, was able to bring a lot of top talent here locally into Cincinnati and can't speak highly enough of him. I'm glad we needed to spend time paying homage to Marcus Freeman. And speaking of paying homage, Hummer. Coomer, founded in 2007, Homage turns back the clock with shout-outs to eclectic moments and personalities in sports, music, and popular culture. From Billie Jean King to Larry Bird, Homage tells the story of triumph, individualism, and hustle, preserving the old school and creating new legacies. Pay Homage at Homage.com. Coomer, when I'm shopping on Homage.com, the first collection I like to go to is the City Pride Collection. It includes classic Cincinnati throwback designs, the 93 Reds logo hoodie, the 97 Cincinnati Bengals starter jacket. Get yours today and then go check out the go-tos. Super soft, cozy essentials, perfectly understated and expertly crafted. They are shirts and hoodies made to fit you. I'm a big guy. These shirts are comfy. I love 
purchasing these. And if you have a baby, they have baby onesies. Make sure you pick up your baby onesies featuring your favorite Cincy sports team. To do that, shop Homage online at www.homage.com and in six stores across Ohio, including their Over the Rhine, Vine Street location right here in Cincinnati. Homage has created an exclusive offer to kick off 2021 for Cincy Slang and listeners. Beginning January 4th, get 21% off the entire site when you enter code SLANGIN at checkout. Go to www.homage.com. That's H-O-M-A-G-E.com. And don't forget to enter the code SLANGIN, S-L-A-N-G-I-N at checkout for 21% off your entire order and pay homage. All right, Hummer, it's time to start talking about the basketball team. Uh, Before we get started, I just got to do this, all right? I have to do this. I have to get this off my chest because we don't get a lot to celebrate, and we did just watch a game, and I don't want to talk about that one yet because the University of Cincinnati Bearcat basketball team snapped a five-game losing streak with a win over SMU. And I really, 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 really wanted to say on Thursday, I wanted to do a podcast so bad just so I could say without any negativity whatsoever that it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. And indeed, it was Thursday. It was Thursday, and we would have recorded a podcast to celebrate the occasion. Someone's voice decided to abandon them. And as you could probably hear it, I don't sound fully recovered Everything still feels a bit strained. I completely lost my voice. I, it was not COVID-related. I'm fine. Uh, didn't actually feel all that bad. But, yeah, they're back. The vocal cords are back just in time to discuss another loss. And now we're 3-7. and seven. We have a one-game losing streak at this point. Um, but, look, I actually think it's important that we do emphasize some of the positives because I tried to say this when we were 2-5. and five. You can't just resign yourself to the fact that this is going to be a bad season and therefore nothing matters. I'm going to tune out. What we're seeing now are the building blocks of what the future will look like. So I'm trying to figure out, are the, are there players on the team that are, that do represent a legitimate building block piece to have a successful team that competes for American athletic conference titles again. And I think we are having some, we have some good news on that front. Tari Eason speaks for himself. Um, we already knew this when we talked to Nars Martinez months ago, last year, even, uh, he was so bullish on Tari, you know, comparisons to Jonathan Isaac comparisons, even to Tracy McGrady. I'm not seeing that so much, but, uh, but Jonathan Isaac made a lot of sense. I remember that you were, you, you like, oh my God, you got, you got visibly excited about that, that. Well, if you're going to compare the guy to one of the all time scoring greats, I mean, that's, that's a bit much, but he's not, he's really not so much like T-Mac in my opinion. It's more so the Jonathan Isaac mold. It's more so um, Pascal Siakam. It's someone who's not necessarily like a dynamite scorer in the, in the classic sense of the word, but just a, a, like a Jack of all trades. He can defend, he can block shots, he can steal, he gets deflections, he can grab a rebound and push the ball up the court. There's uh, He's shown some flashes recently of being able to pass. Tari has been a bit of a black hole in the in the post where if you throw him the ball, it's going to go, the shot's going up. It's not usually going to get kicked back out. Right now, it, it doesn't seem like he has the best awareness. However, 
And we saw this primarily against um, who did we just play, Hummer? Who did we, you just said we beat? Oh, we SMU. just SMU. When we snapped our losing streak against SMU, Tari was able to get entry passes. He has, has the ball in the post, take a couple dribbles, and he found Micah Adams Woods a couple times for open three point shots. And it just seemed like the rhythm with which Micah was catching the ball, it allowed him to shoot higher percentage shots. So if Tari is adding that type of facet to his game, the Bearcats are in good shape. I don't think, look, no, there's no controversy or anything to debate really about Tari Eason. The talent is there. He's been doing it all for us all season. He's been one of the most consistent players despite being a freshman. So a that, or first things first, he is one of the bright spots of the team so far. Secondly, and I'll let you get into what we've seen lately. Zach Harvey's on a bit of a run. Highly rated Zach Harvey, sophomore this season. Bit of a slow start. Bit of an enigma. We weren't really sure exactly what we had. Zach Harvey's getting the business right now. Oh, this is this my cue to, to 100% agree with you. Absolutely, Zach Harvey has been getting it. <laughs> Maybe he's getting two business. I'm not sure he's getting the business. I think he's getting two business. No, I mean he's he's had a he's had a very I don't want to say very similar run, but in in another sense a very similar run to that of Jeremiah Davenport. Um, you know he he dropped 19 against Wichita State. He dropped 13 in that game against SMU. Dropped eight against Tulsa. 15 against UCF. Uh, going back with with looking at Jeremiah Davenport, six, 18, 17, seven, and 18. His last his last five games, they're just they're out there destroying it. In my opinion, they're doing what they need to do. Uh, there's definitely some positives there that you look at this team and while we have guys getting into foul trouble, oddly enough, we get excited when one player not to be mentioned right now gets into yeah. foul trouble um, because it, it, it opens up for the smaller lineup that we're seeing. That's very, very good. Look, we're fouling the out of other teams to a point to where this team, like sometimes we don't even look like we know where we're on the court. Yeah, no, hang on. I thought we were praising Zach Harvey. Oh, you want me to back up and keep praising? Yeah, him? I want to. I want to. I want to praise. I want to say <laughs> this shows you the state. Of, I'm not cutting any of this out, no. by the way. I would this, no. This, I would, this was this was a really roundabout compliment on the team, basically being that the talent is there. It's raw talent, in my opinion, that's keeping us in the game. That's why, like, even though this game was a blowout towards the end, it was competitive for 30 minutes. That's right? a good point. That's and a good that's, point. That's my whole point is, is it's, it's raw talent from guys that we're seeing like Zach Harvey. Granted, he has the highest arcing three point shot I have ever seen in my life. It's and uncomfortably when, high. Like his, I I'm okay with having camera. you shoot the ball however you want. It, it's uncomfortably high. How ball, how high the ball goes in the air when he, when he shoots a three point shot. However, they've been going in. Um, how many threes did he end up making against Wichita state? I think he made four three pointers in the game. Um, his shooting has really come around. His comfort level has really come around. I thought when he came into the game early in the season, and we certainly saw this last year, Zach just seemed to be moving too fast for himself. It was almost like, I want to do well so badly. I want these minutes so badly. I just, I'm not really sure how, what, where do I go? How do I, where do I rotate? How do I play defense? What do you want me to do offensively? Right now, he's not really creating for others. He hasn't really reached that level of his game, and I know he has the passing because we saw flashes of it last year. Um, he still can't really go left. Like, anytime you see Zach Harvey get the ball, he is definitely 
he is the right-handed equivalent of what James Harden does in the NBA. Like the man wants to go left and, or I'm sorry, he wants to go right and he's going to, and that comes to finishing too. Like if he adds a left hand, when it comes to finishing around the rim, he's going to finish better. Those are things though, that he can improve and get better at because he's still, despite kind of being right-hand dominant to a point that's a bit absurd, he's still getting to the rim. He's still finishing. And, and obviously the shot from outside is coming around big time. Yeah, the only other thing I would I would say to, about Zach Harvey too is I think at times he, I mean I guess I have one example of this, but um, I've seen it more more than once. He seems to sometimes when he's going for a finish to try to do too much, where he has pretty much a, a little floater that's that's open for him if he just floats it up there. But instead he'll bring he'll bring the ball back down and try to do some crazy you know reverse through traffic up by the hoop and, and misses the shot. Um, he, he had that a couple, he should honestly tonight, he should have 21 points, uh, maybe, maybe 23. Cause he, like I say, he did this on a couple of occasions where he's driving and he goes, there's traffic in front of him. He could have gone up, put the little, you know, little, little floater up there, but instead he goes into the traffic and tries to be, be cute and get his ESPN highlight, but he's four for four tonight. He went four for four from three point land. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. He was seven from 10 from the field. I mean, he, you can't. Can't what else can you ask from him? Honestly, he's playing at a level that's that's what we expect. He's taken a sophomore leap. Yeah, it's 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 turning out to be a very good year for him. He's living up. He's starting to live up to the hype. Right, we're starting to see signs that he's living up to the hype that he came in with. Um, you mentioned him, Jeremiah Davenport. I think I need to atone a bit on my uh my my Jaron Davenport takes because he's 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 my new Trey Scott. Yeah. And I think he's, I think he's a lot of people's Trey Scott. You, it's hard to not love Jeremiah Davenport. And I think before the season, we were kind of speculating, you know, what's the team going to look like? Here's the roster. Here's the depth chart. Who's going to be the odd man out. We had Jeremiah Davenport as one of the biggest candidates to be the odd man out. And he has been anything but this season. What I didn't, I think what I didn't put enough stock in before the season is, is the energy, the enthusiasm, the consistency and effort that he brings to the game every single time. Now, that was overshadowed by the fact that he was a 14% three-point shooter, that he turned it over at an alarming clip for a guy who's not a high-usage player, that he didn't necessarily have much in terms of off-the-dribble game, and that he, he's not a dynamite athlete. This season, we've seen his three-point percentage, and and Wichita, he struggled. But before that game, he was shooting over 40% from three. And he's shooting with confidence. He shoots decisively. He, he knows exactly what he can do on the court. He had, he had started seeing his turnovers decline. We had seen uh, him take better care of the ball in recent, in recent history, which you couldn't always say for Jeremiah. Like, he, he just has brain farts on the court. He was prone to them and he did, he did it against Wichita as well. But all in all, when you think about where he was last season and what he's doing this year and the fact that we need him to play probably 27, 30 minutes a game, he went from being a potential odd man out to being one of the three most important players on this team this season. A hundred percent. You know, he's forced. He's, he's walking offense in a sense that you can give him the ball for the most part, you could trust him to score. I think that was something, you know, that we definitely lacked this game. Uh, this game, too, the other thing that fell off the, the face of the earth was the assist game. 
you know, th- this is a team that thrives on offense when it is giving and giving and giving. Uh, I think we only had 15 assists compared to, you know, over 20 against SMU. Um, so we just, we weren't getting, we weren't, we weren't finding those opportunities to Julius, you know, struggled, I think, you know, for, for most of this game, he was, uh, you know, he took a lot of shots, uh, you know, in terms of being effective with what he was doing. Um, you know, I don't he, think the assist numbers were down because of DeJulius though. What well, did he, DeJulius, I mean, he, he finished with seven assists. He's their primary assist in SMU. He had 12, you know, he was very uh, good. He's not going to get 12 assists a game. Seven assists is fantastic. Seven assists is fantastic, but I'm, I guess I am, I'm being unfair to him. I'm looking towards the rest of the team is really what I'm looking at. The fact that we have really one person generating the assist isn't, isn't good. You know, Micah eh. Adams Woods needs to do a better job of, of creating offense. Keith Williams is, is also someone who, who for as much as he drives to the hoop needs to do a better job at, at creating offense. Um, you know, that's I, where we, we get into these parts where we struggle. And I know a lot of that has to do when we bring a certain unnamed person onto the court who, you know, we, we, we cheer weirdly enough when he gets his second personal foul in the first half. Uh, and then we uncheer when he gets left in after said second personal foul in the first half. Uh. I, I'm not ready to attribute that this, this problem necessarily. I think, I think there, you mentioned it with Terry Nelson that he identified a couple games ago that one of the oh. biggest challenges this team faces is that they are a bit too score first. Like the mentality of a lot of the players is it's my turn to get a bucket. I think for as well as Zach Harvey's playing, he is not someone who looks to set up teammates. Keith Williams, his inclination is not to set up teammates. Some of the best plays he made in the, in the win against SMU were at the very beginning of the game when he drove and found David DeJulius for an open layup. And at the very end of the game, when he drove to the hoop, a, attracted the entire defense, laid it off to Tari Eason for a game-clinching dunk. The best plays these guys can make on the court are for their teammates, and they're not often enough looking to do that. David DeJulius is unique in that that is his inclination. He's a bright spot for me. He can't make a shot. His three-point shot is struggling. I'm not even sure. He might be one of these guys you think is a good shooter, but he's not actually a good shooter. Shooters who can't shoot. That might be David DeJulius. We might need to come to terms with that. Fortunately, he does everything else well. So he's very good with, with handling the ball. He's obviously good at setting up teammates. He rebounds well from the guard spot and he defends well. So I'm very happy with what David DeJulius has brought to the table. But all in all, most of these guys don't have that ability or don't have that natural inclination to set up their teammates. Tari, shoot first. Keith, shoot first. Harvey, shoot first. Micah, not so sure, but he's not that great with the ball in his hand. So it's hard for him to, to necessarily create for others. That's where the team has to get better. I think our assist rate has overall been pretty good this season. It, it, it compares well nation, uh, nationally. Like if you look at Ken Palm, we assist on a lot of our baskets and we, and we compare favorably to other teams across the country. But I, just when you watch it, there, we leave a lot of opportunities on the table because uh, we aren't always looking for that kind of that extra pass or, or that finishing touch on a possession that, that would put us over the edge. Real quick, Hummer. So we need to do it. We need to, we need to look for creating opportunities more. That's what I'm hearing. 
yeah, I think there's certain players who could do a better job of it. I think here, Look, this, the way this team, honestly, this I'm kind of embarrassed. We, we haven't even team... we buried the lead. You know, we've buried the lead, right? With the basketball team. The we lead. didn't meant we didn't mention the thing that changed these past two games that John Brandon did change the starting lineup. Oh, well, I mean, we should I've, been talk alluding, about I've been alluding to it. I said this player who should not be named yet. Well, I know, but I wasn't look, trying to look, wait on all that. Right. Like we let's should probably should have let... let's not bury let's let's apologize for burying the lead. Look, John Brandon finally, finally changed the starting lineup and is embracing small ball, whether he is doing that because he's being forced to for for you know reasons. Who's um, forcing him? Stop. Who's forcing him? I don't know. I don't know. That's my whole point. Like, oh, he's doing it. John Brandon decided to go he small. Did it, but then he immediately, immediately, first chance he got, he went big again. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's be fair to him. Cause I think, I think you present this the right way. John Brandon against SMU changed the starting lineup again this season. This time he put Chris vote on the bench, which to me felt like the first time he's been on the bench since he joined the university of Cincinnati. Chris Vote has been a staple in the starting lineup. And in his stead, Jeremiah Davenport came in. This put Tari Eason technically as the starting center on the team. So it definitely was small ball. And to give John Brandon credit, Chris Vote has not played more than 10 minutes in the last two games. Whether Once that's again, because, <laughs> is that fun. foul trouble or is that John Brandon? I'm not sure. Sometimes the vibe I get from John Brandon is like, I want Chris Vote in there by any means necessary. And despite him, you know, coming up short defensively, not being able to rotate, not being able to switch, not protecting the rim. Well, not being a good defensive rebounder and offensively kind of being a one trick pony. Like you get it into the post and he can finish down low. We saw flashes of that in the second half against Wichita. Um, I, it just seems like I felt like the, the energy and the, the vibe of the team felt better these last two games, particularly against SMU because of the fact that we changed our lineup and went to a more athlete based team where it's Tari, it's Jeremiah, it's our guards, it's our wings. And then we have, you know, about 20 minutes a game of Mamadou and Chris vote in against SMU. It was 11 minutes, Mamadou, eight minutes, Chris vote against Wichita. It was nine minutes, Chris vote and 11 minutes for Mamadou. So maybe that's where John Brandon wants it to see it go. Maybe that's intentional. Um, I think that's that's for the best for this team moving forward. I'm not going to disagree there. I, I think, honestly, we've said this before. Chris Vogt would do very, very well in a role that is more more limited as opposed to being, you know, as opposed to being the feature back of this offense. You know, something that's more limited. Look, he came in and was, at, at the very least, my compliment to him is he was effective in the in the limited minutes that he had in the second half, he did what he was supposed to do: get the ball down low and dunk it. Like when you're close to the hoop, score the basketball. Like Can if I you say get this though? There, he, he was he was a, he was personally effective, right? Like he did off. He grabbed some offensive rebounds. He finished inside on a few buckets. Isn't that during the same stretch when we saw the lead expand for Wichita State? And I'm not saying that it's his fault only. Like I think this was was one of his better performances recently. I just think it goes back to we don't play our best basketball when Chris vote is in the lineup. And that's been obvious to me for a while. I would say since conference play started last season, that's been obvious. I think it's been obvious to a lot of fans. I would say 
John Brannon is largely to blame for Chris Vogt being as unpopular as he is with the fan base right now because he was playing too much. Because instead of being a complimentary piece for our team, being someone you sprinkle in maybe, you know, nine to 13 minutes a game, maybe 15 minutes a game max during the last two seasons, he was a focal point, a literal focal point. Before this season, John Brandon specifically said on record that the team at offense was going to run through Keith and it was going to run through Chris. And that's clearly not the most effective way to use him or to, to get the best out of this team. John, you know, Chris, John Brandon knew that Chris Vogt was compromised defensively, that he's not elite defensively, yet we came into the season pairing him with Rapalus Ivanowskis. It just feels like his, his, the fan base right now is, is, is frustrated every time he gets in the game. It's probably overkill. I myself am trying to figure out a way to back off because I have been frustrated with the, pet, with the play. I don't like what the team looks like when we decide to run the offense th- specifically through Chris Vogt intentionally looking for post opportunities when, when it's not necessarily there. And I just think we should have expected, I would have expected our coach to have more foresight with respect to this. Like, I, I don't think that he was playing the best possible lineups. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we snapped our five game losing streak when we decided to change our rotation significantly when we decided to go small and play our best players the most minutes. It's not a novel concept, and it took too long to happen. Yeah, I mean, with us, you and I in particular, I don't know about the rest of the landscape out there, but we've been kind of beating this drum for a while now. And I know I've said this multiple times, uh, more times than I care to say it. Chris Vogt, like like you said, when we try to run the post room, Chris Vogt really isn't that effective when he has to dribble the ball. Like that's not his game. He's not Kyle Washington being able to turn around and put a put a. I said fish hook. You, you call it sky hook. No, um, I don't call it. It's not a sky hook. It, <laughs> it's a jump hook. The jump hook. Whatever we're it's calling it. It's a jump it. hook over. I like this. We'll call it the sky hook. No, that's we're not. You will not call it the sky hook on this podcast. The sky hook was done by Kareem Abdul Jabbar. That is not what Chris Bode is doing. Up. We are getting him route up. That's you won't do point. it. No, that's my point. He can't. That's my whole point. He Nobody do can it. do the sky hook. Nobody can do it, but it doesn't matter. Chris Vote just his skill set's just so limited. And we've seen this for a while. And it sucks because it's like this team being what it is, it's 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 really weird. It's like the one time where I'm not screaming at the TV because I'm not expecting us to go and, and win 20 of our games. Um, but when he's not in, it feels like I'm at least watching a product that's a little better. It is. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't You get to see players that we play better. I'm, I, play I, better. I just, I just got done saying that we ended our five game winning streak when he played eight minutes, right? Yeah, like but then we played nine minutes this game and we lost. So, I mean, we can, he we did, can and, but that's, and so that's the next point. This does not all fall at the feet of Chris, but again, this falls at the feet of John Brandon and the coaching staff. The reason we are three and seven is not singularly because of Chris vote. It's not his fault. It's not. We have the talent. We have the talent to win games. We've seen right. it. We've been close in almost every game. Despite, right. and I would say this, despite the coaching, Wichita State has a new coach this year. Wichita State turned over how many players left the program last, last year? Five? Was it five players who transferred yep. out of that program? And they are not clearly having problems installing an offense. 
Like, I don't know. I, I, we didn't listen to the, I should have listened to the post game comments. I did, you know, but I did, you know, like at this point, at this point, that's not, that's not, a, that shouldn't be an excuse. I don't want to hear any more about it. I don't want to hear anybody giving the benefit of the doubt that, oh, well, you know, we, we, we still have to work on. Yeah, you have things to work on, but whatever it is, coach, you need to do better because this is falling on your feet. You have good players. These players, we know they're good. We can see them when they have these flash, flash of their greatness. Right. It does fall at the feet of John Brandon. And I think we mentioned it last episode. The Sorry, goal for the fired up. <laughs> my goal for the rest of the season is to see our team improve. Step one for that was to change our rotation dramatically. And it was obvious what the change needed, what change needed to be made. It looks like he's done that. Now I could still nitpick. I could still say Mama Dudiara should be the first big off the bench. And it's quite obvious, right? We play better defense. He's a low usage big. Talk about that. His one assist. I think he had one assist this game. Can we talk about that? Who did? Yara. Yeah, it was a nice backdoor cut from uh, to Mason Madsen. Gorgeous. That's some high ass. That's some high basketball IQ right there. (laughs) Don't get me started. Here's the thing about Mamadou. He's not playing great by any means. Like I'm not. I'm not saying he's a rock star on the court. I've definitely backed off my stance of Mamadou needs to be, you know, starting, playing 20 minutes a game. He didn't take the leap, right? There's Mamadou has not taken a leap year over year. However, going back to style of play, going back to playing 94 feet both ways, going back to playing our best players the most number of minutes, Mamadou defends a lot better than Chris Vogt, a lot better. And he's low usage on offense. So when he's on the court, it's not running through Mamadou. It's going to continue running through our best offensive players. The difference is Chris Vogt is, is our worst liability on defense. He's the worst defender on the team. Offensively, when he's in the game, John Brandon chooses to run things through him, which I think is an inefficient way or a worse way of doing things, looking at the rest of the talent on the team. So, that's my nitpick, but we've moved. I'll move on. Like we're going to, I'm going to let it go. He's, I think I got one more nitpick though. If I'm picking, if I'm nitpicking the starting lineup, actually nitpicking it, is it, it it's hard to not the way Zach Harvey is playing. I feel like it's hard not to find a spot for him. No, not at all. I actually am totally happy with Zach Harvey off the bench because if he wasn't off the bench, our bench would be an absolute abomination. Fair enough. Because you need scoring. Like, you need a scoring punch off the bench, and Zach Harvey is that. If you didn't, if you, like, let's say you swap him and Micah, your bench at that point is Micah, Chris Vogt, Mamadou Diara, Mason Madsen, and Mike Saunders Jr. Like, you're not getting a spark off the bench from that group. Let's keep Zach off the bench, but keep giving him 25, 28 minutes a game. That makes total sense. He's just the Manu Ginobili for this team. That's okay. Okay. So that's our, so we, so we nitpick the lineups, right? Like we say, okay, he made the biggest change that needed to be made, which is revamping who starts revamping minutes dist- distribution in the front court. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Cause I know it's been very limited in what we've seen in him. Uh, Mason Madsen. Do you want to see, I want to see him. I, I should ask you the question first. Now I'm leading. Now, now I'm loading the question up. You're leading the answer. witness. Yes. Yeah. Leading the witness. Uh, you want to see him get more shots. Shot opportunities. Well, when he's in the game, he needs to let it fly. Like when he's in the game, I hope they're working on running around screens, running off screens. 
that's the that's the kind of guy where it's obvious as day that his jump shot is butter. And so when he's in, if you have a crack of daylight to get that shot off, when you consider how everybody else on the team is shooting, he needs to let that thing fly. So yeah, absolutely. When Mason's getting minutes, he needs to let it fly. I'm glad to see that he's healthy on the court, looking good. I'm intrigued. I like the jumper. I like that he doesn't look lost on the court. I like that he knows how to move off the ball. And we'll see where he is defensively. I think it's good to see him working his way in. He's already starting to eat into Mike Saunders Jr.'s minutes a little bit, and that's okay. Um, Mikey's not ready yet offensively. He'll get there eventually. Um, these guys are just going to need minutes. Here's here's the next phase of, of what we need to see from John Brandon. Mason Madsen played the same exact amount of minutes as Chris Vogt today. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. I think – and I know it's a completely different different thing, but, you know, I've if you keep making shots, plays defense, doesn't look lost, look, it's weird to say – because it's never going to happen. Could Chris Vogt be his BR 2020 odd man out? <laughs> He'll finish as the odd man out and, and all my <laughs> dreams will come true. Santa Claus is real. Um, l- let me say this. And, and I will kind of wind it down here because we're maybe we're getting a bit rambly on the basketball team. We are incredibly undisciplined as a team. We have struggled with the same two main issues this entire season. We cannot stop turning the ball over and we cannot stop fouling the opponent. These are two things that are completely controllable by our coaching staff. There is no excuse that we have not figured out a way to mitigate these issues. Here's why the turnovers are especially problematic. David DeJulius is our point guard. If there's one thing that he is not his weakness, it's turning the ball over. He does it. He, he takes good care of the ball. He is a good lead ball handler. Our two guard is Mike, Micah Adams-Woods. Micah played kind of like a, a, a false point guard position last year next to Jaron Cumberland and did not struggle with turnovers. So you have a backcourt that theoretically has, has proven they know how to execute. Um, early in the season, you could chalk up a lot of our turnover issues to what was happening in the post. Uh, Rapolis and Vote just had absolutely no chemistry together. They could not function together, offense or defense. Rapolis was a walking turnover. Vote has struggled mightily with turnovers. We saw Tari with some kind of, you know, a few turnovers today that were just completely careless. That goes back to coaching. Our coaching staff should be figuring this out. They should know how to get a handle on our team taking care of the ball and not shooting ourselves in the foot. Again and again, these are live ball turnovers that are going off in the other direction for layups and just all-star highlight-level dunks for Wichita State and SMU. It's on Brandon and the staff to get that under control, and then the and then the and then the fouls. And I'll let you have it, Hummer. After this, I'll pretty much be done talking. We are fouling at an obscene level. I know that the Wichita State game, in particular, in the first half looked off, right? The the number of fouls or the lack of foul calls on Wichita State was alarming. I think we had seven fouls before they had the first one. But like, did you really question our fouls? Like, I honestly, most of the time we are fouling the other team. Keith Williams continues to reach in and commit the most careless, silly, not tight, not senior-esque we, we, fouls. 
we have this thing of swatting at the ball. When you go to block a shot and you do a windmill swat, you are going to get called for a foul. And these are habits. A hundred times. This is coaching. These are habits. These are things that can be emphasized and re-emphasized and retaught at the practice level. And it's not happening and it's not improving in the games where we see it controlled. We're competing. We're in the game and we, we have a chance to win Tulsa. We did not turn the ball over and we did not foul at the same rate. Sure enough, we were in that game to the very end. We just couldn't buy a bucket that game. It happens against SMU relatively under control. We won the game, but again, you go back to it against Wichita state turnovers are out of control. Foul rates out of control. And we just have no shot of winning those games. We are, these are self-inflicted wounds. They are red flags because they keep happening. They are red flags because of Brandon's inability to get it out of the team, make it stop happening. And when he gets on the radio show and says things like fouling is a symptom of the defense we play, change your defense, do something different. Fouling isn't a good thing. The best teams in basketball don't foul incessantly. That's not how we're going to win. And I promise you, when we do eventually get back to the tournament one day, we're not going to win tournament games by fouling. And I know people wanted to say bye to Mick Cronin because he didn't have, didn't have success in the tournament. But the reality is, you got to get there. But when you get there, the style of basketball we're playing right now is not tournament-winning basketball. So don't give me that. You're 100% right. You know, they, I think they even made a comment on the on the broadcast today talking about it. They were basically comparing like, you know, NBA level athletes to college athletes. And it was basically coming down to like block shots and how the NBA is like, you, you know, they, they are so in control of what they're doing that what might look like a foul isn't a foul because of how good they are controlling their bodies. You know, the reality though is a good defense in college that relies on fouling means that you are behind where you're supposed to be. You're not keeping the defenders in front of you. You are slow to get to your spots on the court. And so you're, you're behind everything. So you're getting to the ball late, which means that you're picking up blocking fouls. You are reaching in, you're desperate, you're desperate to get a stop. And that's a symptom of undisciplined coaching because you're not teaching the de- You're not having the, the defense instilled in them. And like I said, I'm not going to buy this excuse anymore. I'm done. If anybody wants to say it to me, let's, let's have it out. We're not, I'm, I'm over this not installed bull crap. I don't want to hear that ever again for the rest of this, because the reality, this is college basketball. We get new players to the team every single year. doesn't True. matter. It's going to be that way. Every year, players have to relearn an offense and relearn a new defense or a new scheme or a new this. It's enough. It's enough of that. So, what we have the players. I'm I'm still excited to see and watch these players grow. You said this last cast. We have one goal. Win the AAC Conference Tournament. That is our path. We need to see great improvement from the rest of the schedule on out. Look, this is all practice from here on out. These are all exhibition games. Figure it out. Be playing your best basketball come come the uh, beginning of March and march on through the tournament. Great point, my my guy. You you clearly put it. This team, it's all about building to the conference tournament at this point. The beautiful thing about college basketball, you can always play your way in. And I wouldn't rule it out for this team yet. 
but there's obvious things that have to improve. And so far, we've seen no evidence that's going to happen. Anything else, Hummer? <laughs> On that super positive note, my bad. My bad, everybody. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, okay. We've so, seen no evidence. Look, I haven't lost it. Um, we're not losing. We're not. That's, that's the key is this isn't a team that you actually, sh- I don't think this is the team you need to give up on or should give up on. You it, don't give up on them. Absolutely not. We're not saying is, that. This is going to sound really, really weird. This is one of those skate. This is one of those seasons. And we haven't experienced this in a long, 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 long time where you watch the games and you look for the little things. Find enjoyment out of the little things. Watch the players. Watch what they're doing. Watch how they're improving game to game decision making, whether they're standing around staring at at drivers. You know, but you want to look at the little things. Don't let the overall result get you. Look at what's what we're improving on in, in where we're striving. At least we're seeing some players start to come out of their shells right now. We're starting to see some really good basketball out of a handful of players. And when they those all start coming together, this team's going to be great. When Easton's playing without, you know, fouling, fouling the crap and turning the crap over the ball. When Davenport's, you know, knocking down threes and not turning over the ball. When Keith Williams isn't fouling. When those things happen, all of a sudden this team is going to be really, really good. And it's going to be hard for the best of this league to beat us. We just got to get there. That's that's the key. We got to get there. Well said. We didn't even talk about Keith Williams today, which is telling in itself. It's pretty obvious what's going on there. He's pressing. He he's feeling the pressure of being the man. I'm not even, let's not get into it. We'll talk about Keith Williams on the next podcast. What's going on. Hopefully you can turn it around. It's been ugly. It's been rough for Keith. I hate to see it. Cause you know, he was one of my favorite players last year. I love everything he can bring to the court, but it's clear that he's pressing. The pressure is, is kind of mounting in terms of what he wanted the senior season to be. It's not happening. There's still opportunities. There's always going to be opportunities out there because of what the conference tournament provides you. So let's root for that. Let's watch this team going forward, Hummer. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Nothing else from me, my guy. Cheers. Cheers.